Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Great America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Not sure what to do? How about doing nothing? Unfortunately, people cannot resist doing nothing. So they trade and they trade and they trade on the same information until it's beaten to a pulp. That's how I felt about the reaction to today's discouraging non-farm payroll report, where we had substantially fewer jobs created than we thought, even as the people who make these forecasts clearly had never heard of the Delta variant. If they'd known we were going through a severe COVID outbreak where people would rather stay safe at home than go into work, these weak employment numbers shouldn't have come as a surprise to anyone. Initially, traders liked the weakness because it meant that Jay Powell's been given a pass, right? He's getting right to avoid tightening into the face of the Delta variant. But then we gave up our gains with the Dow only dipping nine points. That's a big decline of 0.19%, but the Nasdaq actually losing 0.51%. Why? Because in further review, it seemed like the weak job numbers got confused with weak earnings. While oil prices took off once again, sending the flow of funds back into the energy stocks. Look, it's the same list I keep giving you. It's Devin, Pioneer, and Diamondback for growth and Chevron for income. They all went nuts today again. Every time that, that, that oil goes up 50 cents, that list explodes. Still, this week we recovered from an early sell-off and finished strong enough to go into the heart of earnings season with a decent head of steam. So why don't we see what it has in store for us? Let's look at the week. All right, next Monday is Meme Madness Day because we get the box of results for No Time to Die, the latest Bond movie with the incredibly cool Brooklyn resident, Daniel Craig. I am, since I live in Brooklyn, I'm the only person who thinks of him as Brooklyn's own. It, no one else cares at all about that, but I do, all right? Now, if the Bond movie is strong, the runners and gunners that these meme apes, their word not mine, will bid up AMC relentlessly. One thing's for certain, if Bond does well, AMC CEO Adam Aaron will tweet to the limit about those box office numbers. He once had a tweet that got 7 million views. Adam's the kind of guy who's not shy about how his shareholders will make out like bandits if this trajectory continues, even though many money managers like to endlessly rail and bet against the man. Is AMC stock overvalued right now? By most traditional metrics, sure. But as I told Adam at my corporate governance conference last week, the stock is worth what people are willing to pay for it. And the answer is higher if the bond box office is huge. 
Next up on Tuesday, we hear from a company that, oh, it's only $30 billion, but listen to me, fast and all, is a proxy. It's a proxy for industrial growth because it supplies everything you need to build something. I always listen to the conference school. See, there's a dearth of news on Tuesday, barring new developments, of course, from Washington. So you should expect traders to go overboard, taking their cue from fast and all. You should see these fast money guys. They say, well, not fast money, fast money, but like fast, fast money. On Wednesday, it's almost impossible to determine how the market will react to J.P. Morgan's results. This is a well-run company that's in the habit of putting out terrific numbers. But will they be terrific enough to justify the run in the stock? Typically not. Yet there will be over-anxious traders who bid it up, right? They're usually important between 6 and 7 in the morning. And then only to be bogged down by other traders who hate it. They find some line they don't think is good. I say if you haven't bought any J.P. Morgan by now, you, gotta afford, you, you can afford to wait. Let's see what happens. Now, BlackRock reports, too, and this huge asset gatherer will most likely have a monster quarter. I say that. I mean, the numbers will be considered much better than expected, even as I don't even know what the numbers are. Hey, I don't, but I don't know a soul who believes they won't be excellent. Uh, BlackRock is what I call a sainted stock. So if you're itching to buy something for a trade, this is the one. The reverence here is incredible. No matter what it says, it, it can literally put a blank number. And people would draft it in the first round. Next up, the airlines seem to be talking every day. It's like they can't shut up. When Delta reports on Wednesday morning, there'll be still be people who will be surprised by how bullish they are about the prospects of return of international travel. As someone's done quite a bit of flying since the pandemic peaked, I've seen the planes get more and more full. When you go to Europe, though, you're conscious that the EU's green pass, which you need to go anywhere because it will show your vaccine, is something we can desperately use over here, but we don't have political will. Delta Air would be doing a lot better if we had a vaccine passport policy to handle the Delta variant. But when I asked Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo about it, she said it's not in the cards. America's just not as aggressive about ending this pandemic as Europe is. We were so far ahead of them. Now we're so far behind them. Well, of course, we take the whole live free or die ethos a little too literally. What else? Well, you've no doubt heard about our new investing club here on CNBC. Can you hold your phone up to that? Let me do that. You go like the. Can you see it over here? I mean, this is it. Um, So if you want to, that's how I think, right? I mean, it's like, well, look, this is the rehearsal. When you catch the later one, it's going to be much stronger. If you want to see us in action, read our reports next week on Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo. Those are two positions of my charitable trust when they report on Thursday morning. Club members will get unbiased, actionable analysis that Wall Street's just not going to give you. I've been doing this for a long time. Let me tell you, we give it to you in plain English how good or bad these quarters are. Even if we screwed up, we just say, we screwed up, we were looking for this, we didn't get it. No, no analyst will ever do that. And we give it to you in the time you need to make a, a considered decision. We pride ourselves on that. And we work for you, not the big institutions. We're not trying to curry favor with the people who run these companies. And that's curry, uh, you know, like not the I have fell off the accident. Um, I'm betting Morgan Stanley's results will be amazing. And Wells Fargo's won't be as bad as it used to be. That's good news for both of them. The banks have had a big move here, but they're still well behind the broader market in terms of their price-to-earnings ratio. Like a less extreme version of the oils, the financials have been hobbled, and now they're playing catch-up. If their stocks get hit next week, we're going to be buyers. I can tell you that. Also on Thursday, we get results from Bank of America and Citigroup. We know that Citi remains perennially cheap. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Bank of America could have a real earnings breakout, though, because long-term interest rates are going higher, and that's what they need to move the needle. Now, we hear from Domino's, too. Now, this is important because this has been a winner since we said buy it at 10 about a decade ago. Um, I I think it's going to beat the numbers once again. Uh, The Delta variants made people hunker down again in their homes. Uh, Try the tomato pie, no cheese, banana, peppers. 
Okay, just try it. Hit the no cheese button and hit it a second time. Uh, there's a big boon for delivery-oriented pizza. They're also the guys who are doing the most about autonomous driving. How about Walgreens Boots Alliance? What a horrible stock. Now, you got to wonder if anything will ever move it up. Uh, however, the stock's been down so long that it kind of looks up to me. Any positive news can send it higher, although I can't imagine what that positive news can be. The people who run it, maybe they have an idea. If not, I'm going to be out here hammering the, hammering the heck out of them. On Friday, Goldman Sachs reports. I expect a great one. Expenses under control. Wealth management strong. Fixed income pretty cool. People actually going back to work. Corporate finance very strong. Even M&A is limited by a government that suddenly cares about any trust law, but it'll still do well. The good thing about Goldman stock is that it actually tracks the earnings. So if the quarter is as robust as I think it'll be, don't chase it. That's a fool's earn. For investment club members, we'll compare all the banks to make sure we have the right ones. And if we get it wrong, we will own our mistakes, as embarrassing as that is. I don't care. Finally, J.B. Hunt, the nation's third largest trucker, also reports on Friday. And we hope they can explain what the heck is going on with finding truck drivers. I mean, come on. Finding drivers become a nightmare. Hey, I got an idea. How about paying them more? We got a trucker shortage in America, often cured by paying people more. But well, maybe that's one reason why J.B. Hunt was uh, downgraded from a holder cell by a major sell side firm. Here's the bottom line. We're still at the tail end of a historically weak moment. We've got a lot more on that later in the show. So there's no need to be a hero next week unless we get a very steep sell-off based on exogenous shock that doesn't have much to do with the U.S. economy. Right now, though, a not-so-hot, maybe kind of cold jobs report is just right going to earnings, although I am expecting total case-by-case trading all next week. Love. Joanna in Florida. Joanna. Booyah, baby. Booyah. I've been a, I've been a long-time listener of yours uh, since the dot-com days. Anyway, I'm calling about Blackstone, BX. It's been a real darling of uh, Wall Street for a really long time. In fact, if you look at a one-year chart, it hardly took a dip. It went up to 136 in, in uh, September, and now it's down to 116. I bought it at 28 in 2000. <sighs> And I have a lot of shares of it. Now, I want to know what's happening to it. Well, I mean, these are the kinds of stocks that have been rolling over. A lot of people feel there's not going to be a lot more deals happening. A lot of other people feel that we're moving on to another part of the cycle. Here's my take. You have too much of it. You have some big gains. I need you to... Play with the house's money by taking some off the table. And you'll do that on Monday morning, please, because it sounds like you're a very nice person who likes me. I'm giving you that. Let's go to Stephen in New York. Stephen. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Oh, we're good to go. What's happening? I'm calling on behalf of myself and, my, and your second biggest fan, my sister Lisa in St. Augustine, Florida. Wow. Leaped right over uh, my two daughters. But that's OK. I mean, they have, they have mixed emotions. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, about the show. I, about the show. I, lo- I, I love the new investment club, man. It's a game changer. Thank you. <laughs> the, the club is fun. I mean, you know, we make love in the club. Not really. I do have his book, by the way. I mean, it's right here. Wasn't he the guy who did that? I mean, he is just a, okay. What's happening? Your recommendation on a firm was was magical. Thank you. My, co- my question is, with the recent partnership between CrowdStrike and UPath. What are the overall benefits going forward for CrowdStrike from the partnership? I worry about CrowdStrike. I love George. I really do. Palo Alto Network may have the better model right now because I know CrowdStrike is is, uh, cloud native. But I do think that if you 
by Palo Alto right here. You got all bases covered besides the UE path. Uh, I'm an Akesha Roar fan, and that one has not come in at all. Why? No flies on P-A-N-W. Now I'd like to go to Susan in California. Please, Susan. Hey, welcome to my favorite star, Carol. I love you, man. And also, I'm calling from the land of the Giants and the Dodgers. Hey, I want to tell you something first about your investors club. When you first switched over, I thought, oh, shoot, another paying thing. And then the other day, I've been noticing there's no charge. So you announced on the air why you were doing that. And it actually makes my heart very excited. Holy you care cow. about your investors, new and old. So thank you, Jim, for thank that. Thank you. I, I mean, look, it's time. I mean, I've reached an age where it's just time. You know, it's like, you know, no commission. I don't want your money. I just want to try to give you the analysis that I see, and I don't carry anybody's favor because I don't play for dinner. Let's go to work. Hey, so about five weeks ago, you talked about Upstart. I went and bought some and took off. It's down a tiny bit. I was wondering, I know it's a niche stock. It's kind of unusual. What is your forecast for the future? Is this a stock? Uh, I, I need you really to think well? about it like this, and thank you for those kind words. Everyone, thank you for the kind words about the club. I need you to think about it like this. I think this stock reminds me of Shopify when it was at 200, and it got to 400, and I said, ah, you know what? That's a big win. No! There was much more upstart on every dip. Dave Gerard is amazing. This one is the way. So artificial intelligence loans, it's the way to go. Hey, how about these nice people like the club? Well, look, it was worth it. It is worth it. I'm just getting started. You don't even know what I got going down the line. All right, anyway, right now we're still in a seasonally weak period for the market. No need to be here out unless we get a very steep sell-off. I do think a not-so-hot, maybe even kind of cold chops, what's going to be just right for earnings on oh, man tonight? Supply chain troubles could threaten the holiday season. So how do we make sure all of our presents appear under the tree? Or, you know, I'm talking to private player Flexport to hear more about the congestion at our ports and what it takes to fix it. Then for the last 21 years, late September through early October has been a tough time for the market. But now that we're bouncing back from a rough stretch, what's next? I'm going off charts to find out. And a few weeks ago, you stumped me on this Element Solutions. So I'm turning my homework on the stock to see if the specialty chemicals company could create an interesting opportunity. And it just might. So why don't you stay with the investing club and stay with Kramer? Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. 
Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EdenVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured, offer no bank guarantee, may lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. By now, you've heard about all the huge shipping delays all over the world, especially across the Pacific, with gigantic backups at our West Coast ports causing tons of supply shortages. But for regular viewers, you know this was coming because we spoke to Ryan Peterson, the CEO of a company called Flexport, back in June. This is a privately held software company that uses data analytics to help help its clients manage logistics. At the time, Peterson told us the problem would get worse before it got better. And it certainly has gotten worse. Now those shipping rates have started coming down from their peak. So we got to finally figure out, is the worst over? More importantly, what can we do to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again? Let's check in with Orion Peterson. He's the founder and CEO of Flexport to get a better sense of where we stand in the global shipping crisis. Mr. Peterson, welcome back to Mad Money. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for having me back on. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. All right, we're starting to hear things. Look, I, my trust is in with you because you were the only guy I saw it coming. We're hearing some, some things have gotten better. But I got to tell you, if you say that they have it, then I know they have it. Oh, man, they definitely have it. It seems to be getting worse and worse by the day. Really? So we have not, even though we hear these things that maybe China slowed a little bit, we'll make it even better. The jam up, the number of boats that are in the that are in the Pacific, it's just getting worse, right? Yeah, I mean, right now there's 51 container ships waiting at anchor. Not they're not even unloading right now, just waiting offshore in Long Beach. It is a little bit better. Last week was 72, but then the week before that was 45. So it's hard to say it's getting much better. It's, oh. It seems to be about the same. Okay, because what people are telling us is, oh, it was 77, now it's back to this. You're saying that that's not the way you analyze the situation. Well, you had a, you had a spike to 71, but, that, you know, you had one week spike that was pretty bad. The, re- the reality is, it's, I mean, 51 ships, it's usually zero. Uh, you know, and that's where we want to be. You shouldn't have to wait. You should pull up to the port and unload the boat. So, right, so why isn't everyone hiring Flexport and get this thing solved? You know, I, that's a great question. Well, I'm not saying we have the catch-all solution unless we really get, uh, you know, the whole industry together to solve this thing. It's a complex systemic problem, and systemic problems are market failures are kind of hard to address as a single actor within the chain. But we know that the solution will be technology. When we hear situations like that, I hear, which is, oh, but the truckers aren't using their slots, or that they can't unload this or can't unload that, what that says to me is one of two things. You can either act as we're back in 1950 and we've got a, a rambunctious communist group of longshoremen. Or you can say, well, hold it. We haven't put our minds to this, figured out how technologically to make this go away. And, uh, and that would do it. And I get the sense that you've got solutions to problems that we keep hearing about don't have solutions. 
I, you know what? I think there's some long-term solutions that require major investments and probably government action like automated ports. Or I love the idea of a boring company tunnel so we don't drop these containers right into Los Angeles where they have to get on the 405 and get stuck in traffic right, right away. So I think there's some bigger picture things about dredging and infrastructure and real things, that, but that's going to take too long. And we don't have time. Right. We've got 78 days until Christmas. We got to get these products in into the stores and into consumers' hands. You know, my daughter was waiting for her presence and we, we shouldn't have time to wait. And so I do think there's some shorter term solutions that involve technology. And maybe as important as anything is how do we get the whole system to work together on the tech side? If you look at it right now, a truck driver has to come with a specific container number and pull up to the port at an appointment slot that is given to them. Right. And that means the port has to figure out where's that container. And it's probably buried under hundreds of other containers in the right. stack. It's very inefficient, right? So we got to get to a technology place where these drivers can just show up. They give them the first container. Picture Southwest Airlines, right? Just get on the plane, people. We got to go. Give them a container. Our mobile app can show them where to go, and we'll get it delivered. This tech exists. Flexport has already built it. But it's hard. You know, you have to change contract relationships and, and change the nature of some things. So. But so you have it already. You have what we need. I, hey, you know what? I, I'm pretty sure we could solve this. We don't have a lot of time. We got 78 days. Right. And frankly, a big part of what it needs is everyone recognizing how important our mission is right now. I mean, I right. think if you put me in charge of everything, which would be a pretty fun job, I, one of the first things I would do is tell everybody, make sure they remember why we're doing this, which is we got Christmas coming up. Right. You know, we only got 78 days. We need to remind everybody why we're doing this. So all these truck drivers, everyone, if I was in charge, I'd make them all wear Santa hats for the next 78 days to figure out why we're doing this and dri- start driving these trucks out of the port. Right, well, listen, Santa, Santa, I, when Costco goes and, and rents its own uh, ships, is that smart? Oh, well, it's hard to say, you know, because the big question is, I think it's pretty smart in the short term. The big question for me about companies doing that is how do the ocean carriers who own those ships react? Because you're kind of competing with your vendor at this point. Yes. And I don't think they're going to be super thrilled because Costco and and other companies are not going to be able to rent enough ships for all their volume. And therefore, will they be able to get space on the other ships that already exist? Or are those guys going to say, you know what, I'm going to give the space to whoever didn't rent their own ships. Right, right. Now, I keep hearing that even if we moved all the way around, we went to Baltimore, we went to Philadelphia, it wouldn't matter. Why is that? Well, it's a, it's a much longer journey. A lot of the ships are too big to go through the Panama Canal, so right. it's not always the, the right vessel type. And when you take that longer journey, you reduce the capacity in the network. Because remember, if it, it, the ship needs to turn around and go back and pick up more right. containers. Right. So, Oh, boy. Well, look, I, I, I think that what you're describing about the idea of just having the technology of knowing where the, the container is, it, it's kind of shocking. I, I think most people think they already had it. You know, I think we all expect that the world works like the way uh, that the logistics world and commerce works kind of the way your electrical grid works, where you, you flip the light switch and you're, you're right. controlling a power plant and it's generating more electricity just for you. And it's not really what happens when you buy something. When you buy something, actually behind the scenes, there's people placing phone calls and emailing Excel attachments. And it's a pretty old school way of working. That's a big part of what Flexport's trying to do is bring all these participants together, give them a platform where technology can make them more efficient, connect them to one another to drive efficiencies across the chain and, and create much better reliability out of the system.
Well, I hate to say it, but it seems like rationality is not triumphing, but uh, triumphing. But I do believe that what you have when people listen and maybe see the Santa hat and recognize the urgency, they'll say, well, wait a second. Let's at least start thinking about 2022. I mean, I think you got I mean, good issues. It's a disaster for our customers, for our businesses out there. Like, if you don't make Christmas, that's when you're supposed to make your money. That's why they call it Black Friday. You turn in the black uh, right before uh, right before Christmas season. So without that, I think the American economy is at risk. And we're trying to get growth going. We're trying to keep this growth. It's the most important thing in the economy, in, in the world, really, is if, you, if we're all, if our economy is healthy, we can pay for everything else that people want. But if it's not, it's it's really disastrous. Well, look, fair enough. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I, I wish that you had better news for us. I'm glad that you set us straight, that this thing didn't get better overnight. And I want to thank Ryan Peterson, founder and CEO of Flexport, who first alerted us of this problem long before anyone else told it. Thank you so much, Santa. Uh, I don't know, Santa Port, Santa, <laughs> Santa Flex. Anyway, thank you for coming to the show. My pleasure. Look, this thing is not going away. And the good news that you heard might be temporary. That's not good news for the U.S. economy. Man, money's back into the Coming up, woozy from a September swoon? Let the leaves be the only thing falling this October. Kramer susses out seasonality. Off the charts. Next. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. For the last 21 years, the period from late September through early October has consistently, incredibly consistently, been the absolute worst period of the calendar for the stock market. Now, I spent the last month warning about this period, but now it's coming to an end and the averages have started bouncing off their lows. So what's next? Remember, I started warning you about this after consulting with the legendary Larry Williams. Larry's a brilliant market historian and chartist technician who has been trading stocks, futures and commodities since I was an acne covered kid, desperate for Clearasil or even makeup, even Max Factor. He's written more than a dozen books and created a ton of very useful technical indicators, too. Uh, but this is, a, a, this is a what you have. The business is a what you have done for me lately business. It's very unforgiving. And, and lately, Williams has had a truly stunning track record. So we keep going back to him. Ever since he nailed the bottom last year at a time when most investors had completely given up this market, his predictions have been eerily reliable. If you took his advice about the late September swoon, well, you managed to sidestep that nasty decline that we've now pretty much hopefully digested. Pretty much. 
So now that the late September sell trade has come to an end, can we start buying? Not so fast. Let's set the stage. Williams is a master of coming up with forecasts based on either seasonal patterns or non-seasonal cycles that he spots in the action. At the beginning of the year, he showed us his annual forecast for 2021. Now, take a look at this. All right. (laughs) Pretty exact. This is his general roadmap for the stock market's trajectory this year. At the time, there was no indication of a bear market. His forecast was for a pretty bullish year. And for the most part, Williams has been dead right. He predicted buying opportunities in April and mid-July, which is exactly what we got. He predicted the usual September meltdown, which is exactly what we got. And now this forecast has another prediction, a major turn to the upside near the end of October. Just look at Williams' forecast paired with the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It is stunning how closely this tracks. It's been so right. Full disclosure, I'm not someone who likes to believe in the charts. I'm a fundamentalist at heart, meaning I prefer to make my stock pick decisions bottoms up based on how the underlying businesses are doing. But like it or not, technical analysis, when paired with historical analysis, often works, and I always include it in my thinking. We can't afford to ignore a powerful tool just because, in theory, it really shouldn't work. We don't need no stinking theory. Some people dismiss the charts as astrology, but if I knew any astrologist who could reliably make money in the stock market, you know what? I highlight their work, too. Larry Williams is no astrologist. I think about his stuff when I do my investment investment club work because I don't want to be on the other side of it, okay? In the end, we we, we don't need to know why the method works. We only need to know that Williams has been remarkably accurate in his predictions, and now they're pointing to a terrific year-end rally that could start, but don't get too bullish yet. When exactly is soon? Well, now we take a look at a chart of of the market's true seasonal pattern from data. All right, this is going to surprise you, but this is data from 1923 through 2020. Yet Williams points out that just going by the calendar for nearly a century, stocks have started to start have started rallying around October 29th. Doesn't always happen, but on average, the period from late October, let's use don't say the 29th, let's use late October through late December is typically the strongest time of the year for the market. In the past, short sellers have consistently been punished and the longs have consistently been rewarded. Now, I think you got to approach this the same way we approached that late September swoon. That's historically been the worst time of the year for over two decades. So we told you to be extra cautious. We didn't know why the market might get hit, right? But if we knew this was a period of heightened risk when the market tends to be fragile, maybe that's all we needed. By the same logic, I can't tell you why stocks might run starting at the end of the month. But based on what Williams is showing us, we're heading to a period of heightened rewards, as if the pieces of information that come out are viewed positively. It's not just a seasonal pattern. Williams also likes to hunt for non-seasonal cycles. These are patterns that seem to repeat in a given security. Take a look. Right now, the most active cycles have been a 47-day cycle and a 150-day cycle. According to Williams, they're both forecasting a meaningful low at the end of October. So we've got two different chart techniques that are both calling for the same outcome. That's called confirmation. Now let's get specific. Remember when he predicted the late September swoon? Williams told us that the best time to sell historically was on September 17th. And I hit you with that with like a mallet over and over and over again. And it was right. Then you had to close out your short position at the opening roughly 14 trading days. Right. How about the end of October trade? What's the best way to buy the S&P futures if you want to play this one? According to Williams, if you bought the S&P on the 22nd trading day of October using a 2200 stop loss order 
and holding the position for three days. You would have made money in 18 of the last 18 years. Come on. All told, this trade would have made you about 16 grand. However, if you held for longer, for six days, accuracy goes down, you only would have made money in 17 out of 18 years. However, your total gains would have nearly doubled. In short, this is a very reliable trade that also tends to have longer-term legs. There's just one problem. How the heck do you buy the S&P on the 22nd trading day of October when this year October only has 21 trading days? Well, wouldn't that be November 1st? Williams tested the same data for the first trading day of November, and if anything, the pattern's even better. If you bought the S&P futures on the first trading day of November with a $2,400 stop-loss order and held for two days, Williams said you've made money every year for the last 31 years. Your gains would have run to eighteen grand. If you bought on the first trading day of November, then held for six days, the trade got a little less reliable. If only worked 30 out of the 31 times. But uh, your total gains would have jumped to forty-two grand, more than double. So will this pattern continue? There's no guarantee this pattern will work in 2021, but it's worked for the last 31 years, and Williams has been on a roll for the last 18 months. So I tell you, I wouldn't bet against him. Yeah, maybe I would start it earlier. Maybe I would. Maybe I'd start it in maybe third week of October. But the bottom line, as we get closer to the end of October and the beginning of November, the charts as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams suggest that the stock market could really roar. So maybe it's time to get a little more constructive as we near the historic glory days. Bill in Florida. Bill. Hey, Jim. I have most of my uh, retirement accounts invested in VFC stock. Really? And uh, it's. Bob, it's, uh, you can see it's done nothing in the last uh, few weeks and months. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the uh, What do you think about the uh, outlook for that? Um, I, I I wouldn't sell it here. It's got almost three percent yield. Um, I, I I don't want to sell apparel right here, but there are better apparel stocks. I, I don't want you to panic, but I do want you to think as it gets higher that you should lighten up on the stock. All right, now look. And these are really incredible things. I know I think about this with my investment club. We're not traders, but I'm always, always cognizant that when you get it year after year, end of October, well, I'm interested. The charges interpreted by legendary Larry Williams suggest the stock market could really roar as we get closer to the end of October and early November. Much more made money had one of our viewers called in a few weeks ago and asked about a company called Element Solution. I was stumped. So I'm turning in my homework now that I've looked at it. It's a specialty chemicals company, and I kind of like what it's got. Then the government has some plan to help the struggling semiconductor industry. I'm digging into Commerce Secretary Romano's plan to create a new level of private and public partnership in this important sector. I am spearheading this move. Well, I'm trying. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. big homework guy. You know that if you belong to the investment club, driven by the homework, whether it's be in the club or on the show. And before earnings season goes into full swing next week, we got to catch up on some of our homework here. Whenever I get a question that I can't answer, I always take some time to do some research, circle back with a more considered response, because some things, well, frankly, they jar my memory, but my memory can't remember. For instance, this one. Three weeks ago, Nathan in Pennsylvania asked me about a company called Element Solutions. That's ESI. It just had me scratching my head. I knew something. It was a specialty chemical company that I didn't really know, but kind of felt I knew. Or at least, well, it turns out, I just knew it by its old name, which is Platform Specialty Products. 
This was originally a blank check company set up by Martin Franklin, a longtime friend of the show who made his investors, and hopefully to you too, a fortune back when he was at the old Jordan. We even had these guys on the show a couple times way back in 2015, not long after the company came public and started acquiring a series of smaller specialty chemical plays. But then we got burned. Platform specialty products fell from the mid-20s when we started covering it down to the single digits by early 2016. It was bad time to own cyclical. Then the stock didn't do much for the bulk of the next five years, so we mostly forgot about it. Didn't circle back even when the company rebranded itself as Element Solutions in 2019. However, business has gotten real good real fast since the economy started turning around last spring. Element Solutions has surged from mid-single digits at the bottom last year to just under $23 today. And that includes a nearly 30% gain this year alone. So does the thing still have more room to run? And more importantly, how do we know it won't fall apart again? It did five years ago. Well, you got to understand, when this company came public in 2013 as platform specialty products, we were in the golden age of roll-ups, blank check companies that would come public and try to consolidate a fragmented industry by making a bunch of acquisitions. And that was Platform's game plan. They did billions of dollars worth of deals in a very short period of time, and their old CEO, Dan Lever, was ridiculously, but frankly, (laughs) jovially promotional. When the stock was in the 20s, he came on the show and claimed it was headed for 200. I remember asking, he's like, 200? He said, yeah, 200. All right, anyway, then the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates, making it more expensive for these roll-ups to borrow money, and the global economy ran into a series of headwinds that did real damage to platforms and markets. Agriculture melted down. Electronics got hit. Offshore oil oil drilling totally collapsed. Automobiles peaked. It was a rough time for the cyclicals, but it was an even rougher time for roll-ups. Platform stocks started falling apart during the same period when Valiant nearly went under. Remember that one? The huge pharmaceutical roll-up, a similar model. Then they made, they made a ton of very aggressive acquisitions. Then they paid for it when they ran out of takeover targets and interest rates went higher. As Platform Specialty Products saw its stock plunge from the high 20s to the mid-single digits, we gave up. It wasn't worth the trouble. However, starting a few years ago, Platform began to turn itself around. First in 2019, they sold their Arista Life Science agriculture business. Then the company announced a broader managerial shakeup, bringing in a young new CEO who decided to focus on autos, electronics, offshore drilling, and graphics. That's when they rebranded the business as Element Solutions. The new Element Solutions is a specialty chemical business with complex products that other companies use as part of their manufacturing processes. For example, they make a silver-based dye that's used as an adhesive in semiconductor production. These days, Element Solutions gets uh, 63% of its sales from electronics, meaning 37% coming from what they call industrial and specialty. That includes everything from coatings for autos to high-speed printing to high-design faucets to chemicals that let you transfer images onto packaging materials to oil fluids for oil drilling. Still pretty diverse, maybe too diverse. Now, Element Solutions has seen its stock come roaring back for the single reason that all their end markets are indeed doing better. After seven straight quarters of negative organic growth, their business turned around in the fourth quarter of last year thanks to booming demand for cars and smartphones. That's two of the most important end markets. Since then, not only has the company's organic growth turned positive, it's accelerated in a big way. In the first quarter, Element Solutions had 11% organic growth. That's pretty amazing. But the second quarter was 30%. Well, you got to keep in mind that they were up against very easy comparisons. For the last three quarters, Element Solutions has delivered a series of better-than-expected numbers, with the company consistently giving excellent guidance, too. They even rolled out a dividend in the fourth quarter of last year. It was originally $0.05 cents per share. Bumped it up to $0.06 cents in May after a great quarter. Now, at these levels, it's only a 1.05% yield, but that's not the point. Um, the, the, point the important thing is that the companies don't raise their dividends unless they're feeling really confident about the future. 
Meanwhile, Element Solutions has gotten its balance sheet under control. We didn't like that one either, to the point where they can finally afford to make some modest acquisitions, acquisitions again and play offense. At the beginning of last month, they bought Coventia, uh, which makes specialty chemicals for surface finishing industry. This was a $500 million deal. Isn't it amazing how many specialty chemicals for this or that there is? But that's one of the things that they've got going for them. Putting it all together, I think Element Solutions has a lot going for it. Who wouldn't want a company with exposure to semiconductors, electronics, autos, and oil drilling right now? Meanwhile, the company is a lot more disciplined than it was when it came public as a roll-up that spent, uh, kind of spent like a drunken sailor. So what do you do? What do you do here with this stock? Fortunately, the thing just pulled back from its highs earlier this summer. Now, Element Solutions trades at less than 15 times next year's earnings estimates. That's too low. It's, only, uh, it's a slight premium to DuPont, especially chemical kingpin, but in a lot of ways, it's got more going for it. My view. I think Element Solutions is a steal if you believe its end markets can keep brewing. Personally, I'm not in love with this kind of agglomeration of business. It's too hard. We know there's huge demand for semiconductors. Good news for ESI. But that's impeding auto production. Not good, good news for ESI. I don't like that. I don't like that hedge bet. Bottom line, I think Element Solutions is a solid turnaround story, even if there are cleaner ways to play these themes. Still, you got my blessing to put on a small position here. And if it pulls back, you can always buy more. It's kind of a neat little company, and I don't know if it's going to 200, but it could go higher. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming, so give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skip that. Tell the lightning round. Because I have a summer Jerry in California. Jerry. Yeah. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you. How about you, partner? I'm doing really good. Uh, Logitech, I, 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 it's kind of stalled out. It kept going down, down, down. It seems to be a little stalled now. I got the, it was a great tip you gave. Uh, should I uh, hold it or get well, it, rid like of it? Well, I've liked it since the 30s. Uh, should I have removed it at 120? I don't know. I mean, my thing is, is that they're doing a great job. And what you, uh, what you have to do is kind of ride it, ride it down a little and then buy a little more, but not yet. Let's see if it can find a bottle. I need to go to jo- Josephina in California. Josephina. Booyah! Booyah! I call. Jimmy um, Show says booyah. I wanted to get your thoughts on Lucid. Do you recommend um, buying Lucid? It's gotten so high that I think that Ford, which is my investment club, I write about constantly, has a position in I like Ford more than Lucid. I'm Mario in Massachusetts. I'm Mario! Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Thank you, Michael. All right. Uh, thank you for all your insight and analysis, sir. You have helped make me a lot of money over the years. Thank so thank you. you for all that you do. My stock, I need to know what to do with my position in LPSN, live person. Live person, live person. You know what? Let's have them back on. But they did lower when they reported. Now, they may say that they didn't, but that's the way I read it. And that's why it ain't going higher. Mark in Illinois. Mark. Booyah, Jim. Big fan. Booyah. I am booked. I'm looking at Novacare. What's going on there? Novacare, look, this is a wild stock. It trades on every single uh, approval that it gets. I still stick by the fact that it's an incredible device that has given people many more years of life. I'm not backing away from it. Robert in Connecticut. Robert. Jim Booyah, club member. How are you? Oh, thank you for joining the club. What's going on? 
Listen, Moderna, I bought it when the, the explosion started and, you know, it was significantly lower. And I made some serious money on it. I'm really concerned now. I mean, that profit is gone and we're down 150 points. Well, we, you know, week. look, we, we, we got all excited about this one and, and it's now, I think, kind of peaked and we got to let it come down. I don't want to touch, touch it yet. I have to tell you, I mean, look, it's the time of the oils. That stock actually will go up if the oils stop going down. I kid you not. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is this bizarro world? Or has a can-do attitude taken hold in one important corner of Washington? Find out why a friend of the show is just the woman President Biden needs in the commerce catbird seat. Next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. In pro football, they have a very simple saying, let's get this done. In Washington, it's the opposite. We can't get it done. But every once in a while, you get a sense that Congress might actually accomplish something important for this country. That's happening right now with Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo's big push to get $52 billion to develop new semiconductor foundries in the U.S., foundries that can make much-needed chips for American manufacturers. Think auto companies. Long time ago, this country was the capital of semiconductor foundries. We designed chips here. We made them here. We reigned supreme. But over time, like so many other businesses, the semiconductor industry started outsourcing its manufacturing to countries with much cheaper labor costs. We couldn't compete. Sure, there are still some outliers. Micron makes chips here, as does global foundries, although they have a lot of manufacturing sites overseas. But when you look at the industry as a whole, we now lag far behind Taiwan, South Korea, and even Malaysia. For decades, that was fine. But now we've got a severe chip shortage, and it's clear we need our own foundries because the semiconductor supply chain is way too fragile. Secretary Romano knows all this. She's a business person. She knows it needs to change. It's why she's championing the $52 billion in, uh, in the infrastructure bill that's designated for the semiconductor industry. By this point, the automakers have lost billions of dollars worth of sales because they don't have enough chips. They're not the only ones. At the same time, the Chinese government knows this, too, and they're not our friends. They know that America's gotten way too dependent on Taiwan Semi uh, and the Taiwanese semiconductor production. We know Taiwan Semi remains preeminent when it comes to the kind of full-feature chips that the auto industry needs. Taiwan is a close U.S. ally, really close. So we need to do everything we can to protect them from China's provocations, including the almost daily encroachment on their aerospace that most people don't seem to care about. Putting everything else aside, our economy would be devastated if we lost access to their chips. So I was encouraged when I saw that there are U.S. troops stationed in Taiwan helping to train their army. Somebody gets it. But as Secretary Romano told us this morning, American industry is captive to Taiwanese semiconductor production, and it can't stay that way. I told her that Ford would be, would be willing to buy everything that can be made at these new foundries, keeping really good jobs right here in the U.S. She said that many others would join them, too, including Apple and Intel. Global foundries, soon to go public, can build them with grants or loans, the latter being a possibility because the customer needs everything they can get. If the last year has taught us anything, it's that we don't have enough industrial capacity in this country. So anything the government can do to change that is a gigantic positive for our nation. Of course, it is Washington. The construction jobs might be unionized, but the semiconductor foundries will run lean with few people. 
The chips themselves probably could be built by other facilities, but they aren't because they sell at such low price points, such poor use of production capacity. Plus, maybe the bill just doesn't pass relying on Congress has really been a good bet, right? However, I think this is one area where you need the government to coordinate because the private industry is just not getting the job done. The problem's too big. We're losing too many good jobs because the world doesn't have enough capacity to make chips, and nobody wants to build a foundry for the cheaper ones because the gross margins will be way too low versus, say, ones that go into uh, the, da- the data center, the cloud. It seems like an obvious time for the government to step in. No one else is big enough. Secretary Raimondo, while not an NFL coach, did star in rugby. Many would say a much rougher sport. I bet she'll get this hugely important subsidy done and hope it marks the beginning of more public and private partnerships in our country. You know, we used to call this kind of thing industrial policy. Our trading partners all do it, which is why they've been running circles around us for decades. We should do it, too. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.